Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, Bigley Blast. Steve Kime could do his beleaguered head coach a really big favor before today's NFL trade deadline. He could trade for Bradley Chubb, a potent linebacker slash edge rusher for the Broncos because this is what Kime does best, making big trades in big moments that paper over disasters in progress. Now, yeah, it would cost a lot, but Kime kind of owes it to Vance Joseph because Joseph's underfunded defense has been the unsung star of the season so far, but they may have hit a wall. None of the Arizona edge rushers, Marcus Golden, Dennis Gardak, Cam Thomas, and MyJ Sanders have more than one sack. By contrast, Hassan Reddick has five and a half all by himself, and so does Brad- Bradley Chubb, by the way. A big trade like that, whoever it is, might energize the room. It might sharpen the team's performance because HBO's cameras don't seem to be working at the moment, and it will instill some much-needed energy into a fan base that is furious with what they are watching on a weekly basis. Namely, a flat unprepared offense that can't even get the basics right. Namely, huddling up, calling a play and seamlessly snapping the football without any confused players or communication issues. And that is just derelict. Especially when it's midway through year four with the same head coach, the same quarterback, and the same stale offense. Either way, the Cardinals are approaching their moment of truth, but it's pretty clear that this offense is not carrying this team anytime soon, and it's about time to give Joseph a little more to work with. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Well, I mean, I think any year, um, especially uh, before the trade deadline, I don't think many teams are in in, in that bad of a position where they don't uh, feel like they can acquire some uh, new talent and potentially make their roster better moving forward. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, this year, again, there's a a lot of teams that are in the same boat. um, and, And that's why all these wins are so important. I mean, you get it. You look back on the season and whether you finish, you know, with 10, 11, 9 wins, whatever it may be, you look back at some of those games where you didn't play well and you didn't play well at home and you lost and um, it makes you pay for it. So um, we have to continue to play well. Obviously, we'll take uh, uh, any opportunity we can moving forward to improve the roster, whether it's via trade or uh, through the waiver wire. That was Steve Kime on Friday, his weekly visit with Burns and Gambo. That was before the loss to Minnesota on Sunday, obviously, but the question was, is the state of the NFC entice you to make a move? Bradley Chubb. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Does Bradley Chubb, obviously good football player, improves an area of your team defensively that has been lacking, and that is uh, consistent pressure, getting to the quarterback, quarterback sacks. Yeah. But is he the elixir? I, no, no, I don't think so. But but I do think this. I do think the the edge rush component of the defense that's obviously been lacking, as expected going into this year. J.J. Uh, Watt is is having a terrific year. Zach Allen is having a terrific year. They're doing their stuff on the inside. We're talking about a guy, a linebacker who can get off the edge and get in the quarterback's face and create those disruptive plays on demand. I I, I think. If you believe that what we saw Sunday was a defense that has either lost its mojo a little bit or is a defense that may have hit the wall, then then this might be something that should interest the football team. More to the point, it's again, it's if if, if he trades for a wide receiver, my head's going to explode. 
That, that can't that happen. can't happen. No, that won't happen. A lot of heads would explode yeah. if he traded for a wide. If they trade for a wide receiver, they could work him in nicely by week sixteen. What are you talking about? So right, right. And he learns the yeah. playbook. And- so their so their edge rushers now. Remember all that talk about Victor Demukeji and how great he looked in training camp. Uh-huh. How many sacks has he got? How many times have we said his name uh, since right. then? That was the first yeah. one all year, right. I think. Yeah. Um, Bradley Chubb, just so you know, uh, free agent at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So quite possibly could be a rental. Mm-hmm. If the Cardinals were, you know, five and three as opposed to three and five, I'm all on board. Mm-hmm. I just don't think I'd, I'd do it. But does it become like a Chandler Jones trade where you trade for him and then you give him the new deal and it's not a rental and he sort of becomes a piece of the future? Well, how much? Well, there's a much, need there. I mean, there's there, a need, but how much winning are you going to do? And there's going to be a huge market for Bradley Chubb in the off season. It's not the same as the Chandler Jones trade because they traded for Chandler Jones before a season started. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the flip side of that, you can argue that you know the the trade deadline gets glazed over by a lot of people in the NFL. The trade deadline moves by the Los Angeles Rams might have won them a Super Bowl last year. That's a great point. Odell Beckham Jr. and, and Von Miller, huge. Listen, and and the Baltimore Ravens just went out and got Roquan Smith, who's going to be sensational in that system. And the 49ers trading for Christian McCaffrey might put them as a top contender. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's going to be curious to see what the Cardinals do with this because they already they – already, saw fit to trade draft capital for Robbie Anderson, who, for some reason, still isn't assimilated in this offense yet. The thick playbook, come on. It needs to go whether go to the left or the right and be thrown a one-yard pass. I mean, <laughs> I could assimilate quickly and just say, you know, 15 minutes before the game, Robbie Anderson shows up. All right, you know what? You run real fast in a straight that way. line that right, way. You go there. And we're right. going to try to throw the ball to you. They, right. tried, they tried that they play try once. once. They tried it, it was once. 30 yards short. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he but just he, kept but he running. Some, that was, was the like, He had some that, separation. That was an approach uh, shot by Kyler Murray on that. He was laying up is what he was right. doing. Yeah. I don't so, know. I, yeah. I mean, we've talked so much about the available cap space, the inconsistent offseason in terms of talent acquisition. You go out and you get Hollywood Brown, and that's your big splashy move, and not really anything else in free agency of that variety. Now you're in season – you're three and five. You might be hanging on by just a thread to stay in this thing, and now you're going to go all in on a Bradley Chubb. I, I'm not saying no, I would I, hate it. Yeah. Just the, no. the inconsistency confuses yeah. would confuse well, me. Well, I, I understand that. I just I also I'm also looking at it from the standpoint of showing the team that proving the team we're in this, bringing them some help. Maybe bringing in some energy. Uh, any team would would embrace a player like Bradley Chubb. It can I have mean, the opposite effect on a team oh, like this, though. It, you know, if you've got a winning team where you bring in reinforcements and say you guys are great, but now we're even stronger. Yeah. By bringing in Bradley Chubb, it almost sends the message: you guys aren't good enough. Well, that's the but that is the fear. Yes, that is the fear. The fear is that this defense was completely playing over their skis for four weeks. And again, if if this season doesn't get better anytime soon, that is going to be really the the real point of 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 contention with me and many fans. Mm-hmm. And that would be the fact that this Cardinals defense, even though there's a dramatic disparity between income and revenue allocated to offense versus defense. They held four opponents in a row under 20 points, and the team only won one of those games. That's rough. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's one crazy. of the standout players recently on defense has been Isaiah Simmons. Uh, had another good game on uh, 
Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. Here's Simmons uh, yesterday talking about you know the fan base and the anger that they feel right now. Um, yeah, I think you answered it for me. I don't, I, I don't really read into that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff because it's not going to help nor hurt me. So um, just uh, you know, playing my doing. Doing my 111 on the field and uh, going from there. Yeah, and then uh, Simmons talking about, hey, he thinks that they have already the players that they need to compete and maybe turn this thing around. I think we have all the pieces. I just think, you know, we just, um, you know, just need to be adults, be professionals, and um, handle what we need to handle and um, just continue just to grind each and every day. Um, like I said, I, I truly believe we have all the pieces to. Uh, to, to do whatever we would like to do. Um, so I just, I just honestly, I just think just, like I said, just being honest with looking yourself in the mirror, um, you know, and conquering ultimately what you have, what you have to do, which is your job and everyone just focus on uh, doing their job to the best ability. I think that's a great dilemma, a uh, great question. Do they have the pieces? A lot of people believe, especially on offense, they do. But sometimes the pieces just don't fit together. Now You look at teams that are good on paper, sometimes mm-hmm. they just don't win games. The Arizona Cardinals, even with the injuries, are a good team on paper. I know. But the sloppiness, the repeated issues of clock management, the self-inflicted uh, you know, gaffes that they've had to, to stall drives, which has been kind of a hallmark of, of the struggles during Cliff Kingsbury's yeah. four-year tenure, they haven't gone anywhere. No, no, and this is this is the thing too that they have got to. I don't know how they're going to solve this overnight, but they're really going to have to solve this overnight. They they are so confused and out of sorts on offense that not only does it sabotage them, but it only, it empowers a defense. If you're on the other side of the football and you see teams struggling to get out of the huddle, struggling to get the uh, the ball snapped, suddenly the quarterback, oh, man, four seconds. Come on, come on. Go ball, ball. It, it's, you, you can't, this is, the, as, this is football at its most basic. Huddle up, get a play in, get guys organized, break the huddle, everybody goes exactly to the spot they're supposed to be, boom. Yeah, but now you're talking about consecutive weeks. It wasn't Kyler Murray this week <clears throat> losing his cool and yelling at the sideline. It yeah. was Isaiah no, Simmons right. on the defensive right. side of the you're ball, right. losing his cool and yelling at the yeah. sideline. You're right. And again, I've I've given the defense a lot of slack because I think they have overperformed, and I think they've carried this team for a, for the entire season. And and to their credit, they haven't lost their spirit, mm-hmm. even without the results, even with dealing with an offense that hasn't performed at a high level. They're still fighting, and I, I really like their competitive spirit. There's a hope that we're watching Isaiah Simmons now become that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Zayvon Collins is at a good level where he's a productive NFL player. And so they got some youth. Jalen Thompson, I think, is is turning out to be everything that a lot of people predicted, including Dave Pash. And so there's there's I, I, I said this in my column. I said it yesterday. And I know a lot of people b- b- clap back on it. I was honestly inspired by the defense over the weekend. And it's because it's been a year long thing for me. They, they to their credit, they've at least been very, very Urgent on it, prepared, you know, fairly disciplined. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, it to me, I think that uh, that's that's just something that bears watching now, especially now that we're getting into these these three straight division games and all the heat that's going to come with those. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line. It's open at six twenty six twenty right now. Coming up next. 
primetime football in 2022 continues to be an activity for the diehards. We'll get uh, into some data and thoughts on that next. Typically a Murata Mornings live from the Akchin Community Studios here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Dan Bickley, Vince Morata. Bickley and Morata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Brissett underneath center. On second down, Jacoby waits and takes and gives it. Chubb darts left. He's through to the five and going in. Touchdown! Nip Chubb! And he may have blown this thing wide open. That's the Browns Radio Network. He did, Nick Chubb, with his second touchdown of the day. Blew it wide open. 32-6 at that point. 32-13 the final on Monday Night Football. Bit of a surprise. It looked like the Cincinnati Bengals were getting their stuff together, Bic. Mm -hmm. Uh, They lose Jamar Chase to an injury. Didn't have him last night. Joe Burrow and that offense looked lost for most of the night. Yeah, how about it? And the Browns looked... Jacoby Brissett looked good. He did. They looked uh, They looked very buttoned up and businesslike. Uh, but uh, the trend continued, and that was Thursday night football, Sunday night football, Monday night football. We've almost been absolutely deprived of good games in the primetime this year. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. It's, it, it really is quite something, and, and you know, it's... <laughs> Some people will watch football regardless, right? And it just it's it's just part of what they do. But the results this year have been absolutely unbelievably bad in terms of competitive football in prime time, right? Mm-hmm. Monday night football, the average margin of victory has been 12.8 points. Only one game has seen both teams score 20 or more. That was the Chiefs-Raiders game. 30-29 was the outcome there. Uh, Sunday night football, the average margin of victory has been 10.1 points. The tightest game was the 11-10 snooze fest between the the Broncos and the 49ers. And then Thursday night football, the average margin of victory has been a respectable 6.9 points, but fans are still scarred from back-to-back 12-9 and 12-7 games a few weeks ago. So, yeah, that's... uh, Scarred is the right word. Yeah. And I think you saw the results of that in the Saints-Cardinals Thursday night game. People were so scarred. They're like, I'm not watching this garbage again. I've already watched. They got me twice. They're not right, getting me right. three they're times. They got me a third time. Prove it to me again before I invest my time. Yeah. So if if this is really one of these trends in the NFL now where every most every defensive coordinator is doing the, you know, the two safety, the soft shell, the di- allowing other teams to dink and dunk and self-destruct on their way to the end zone, you would seem to think that maybe the NFL is on the verge of a, of a resuscitation for running backs. Right? Maybe. If if there are all these soft boxes in the NFL, you would think there'd be opportunities for teams to run the run the football. Yet the trend has been to pay the wide receivers all the big money, and then oh, we we got to take what the defense is giving us. Right? I I think you nailed it on when when you said earlier that that the 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 days of wide receivers getting gigantic near quarterback money no more. If if this continues. Yeah. If play callers and quarterbacks are going to be so cautious and not rely on those guys who are the top receivers in the game to make plays mm-hmm. one-on-one or maybe even 50-50 balls with two defenders no. back there. The, and the thing about it, too, is just every – and we've got one of these guys here. Every play caller in the NFL is just – 
terrified of getting thrown off schedule. So they, so you don't take a fair amount of shots downfield. When you throw the ball deep, you go into that knowing this is probably not going to work. Mm-hmm. But you do it for a bunch of different reasons. Maybe you draw a PI. Maybe you catch the defense sleeping. Maybe you connect. And at the very least, you show it to the opposing defense, and now they're wondering, okay, you know, are they going to do that again? We better be, we better be ready for that. Mm-hmm. But teams just seem reticent to take those shots because if they fail, uh oh, that was a wasted down. We didn't get our precious three point eight yards on that play. Three point eight. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean that's that's kind of like what yeah. I feel like we're watching in the NFL. Yeah, it's. It's been a tough watch, and if you if you're a consumer who takes in college football on Saturdays, mm-hmm. and I went into this season, Bick, you know I was soured on college football for a number of different reasons. The local team going through what they're going through, you know, the NIL being the wild, wild west, the transfer portal being the same, uh, all of this realignment. There was a lot of reasons to be down on college football, but if you sit down and watch it, it is a very enjoyable product to watch. It is. Because it's up and down football. It is. And you see some creativity and playmaking, yeah. and you just don't see that level on Sundays. You don't. You, you, see, you see a lot of mid-range passes hitting receivers on the fly, and you see a lot of that stuff. No, it's, I, I agree with you. It, in terms of excitement, the college game has delivered in areas that the pro game is really struggling with right now. And so it's, it's all cyclical, but it, it, just, it goes to show you that you've got you've to have somebody – Somebody running your offense who kind of gets ahead of this stuff and and zigs when the other guy zags, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's it occurred to a lot of people that Cliff Kingsbury just got out coached by a rookie head coach who had a lot of beautifully designed plays. Yeah, that short touchdown pass to the tight end mm-hmm. that was a beautifully designed play. The the play on a early in the game when the Cardinals had had really kind of buttoned up the run and the Vikings were struggling to do anything. They had a third and one and the Cardinals collapsed on the inside and Kirk Cousins did that quick right pitch out to Dalvin Cook mm-hmm. and it was just wide open. That's a smart play caller. That's a guy who goes, I know what they're doing and I'm going the other way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think that's that's something that is, it, it, I don't know if it's surprising or not surprising that this is a year where the the tried and the true have really reestablished themselves as as greats. I'm talking about Bill Belichick, and it's a little early to to, to pronounce the New England season a success. But they're what four and three? Um, are they four and four? What's their record right now? They are. That's a good, that's a good question. My I, point is they they're doing this without a player who is ranked four the, and four four and four. Yeah. Still, they're doing this without a player ranked in the top one hundred. Pete Carroll, great bounce back season for him that has really kind of re elevated his legacy as a as yes. a, a hallmark coach. And ha- Andy Reid, of course, happening with coaches, not happening with quarterbacks. Exactly. And, and the Belichick Brady thing, it's going until both of those guys are gone from the game. This debate is going to rage on. Bill Belichick's closing the gap again. There, there was right. <laughs> There was, it was just last year when the narrative was, if you don't have an offensive-minded head coach, you are falling behind. Mm-hmm. The defensive-minded head coach, they are the dinosaurs. That hasn't been the case this nope. year. Nope. Uh, interesting stuff. Yeah. Coming up next, more interesting stuff. We'll have our weekly visit with the one and only Shane Doan straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Don't scores on the rebound! 
Shane Doan. Shane Doan got a piece of it. I think this goal is going to go to the captain. Captain Coyote. Shane Doan sends a one-hopper on that. He scores! The captain. Coyote's legend Shane Doan. Up early to talk Coyote's hockey with Bickley and Murata. Shot by Shane Doan. He scores! Yeah, it's that time. Our weekly visit with the one and only Shane Doan, Arizona Coyotes Chief Hockey Development Officer, who joins us here on Arizona Sports. Good morning, Donor. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Um, the the Coyotes did me no favors. The NHL did me no favors with scheduling. Every time there's a Coyotes home game at Mullet Arena, there's a Suns home game, so I haven't been yeah. able to get out there yet. Yeah. So what's my excuse? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, going back especially to Friday the opener against Winnipeg I know you were a big part of the festivities just for, for people that weren't there just kind of set the tone what was that evening like and, and the atmosphere like for an NHL game in that arena yeah it was it was just everything that they could have hoped for um, I think the, the way that uh, the environment and uh, the, the crowd and the way that it was a, a unique experience of coming into a building that everyone's right on top of you. Uh, they had uh, they had the the student section was was alive and well, and there was a lot of energy there, and it was just it was a fun experience. And unfortunately, we lose in overtime to a pretty good Winnipeg team, and uh, but at the same time, there was a lot of energy in that building, and uh, it was a pretty cool experience. Donor, I told the story uh, before the opener of the Tampa Light, Tampa Bay Lightning. They actually opened up in a, like on a state fairgrounds in this gigantic barn, and I know because I covered the Blackhawks at the time. Chris Canto scored a hat trick, and they beat up on Eddie Belfour, who went into a rage after the game. Couldn't believe he lost to an expansion team, but it, the, they were so they were so um, new to the experience that Phil Esposito told every all the security guards before the game if anybody throws anything on the ice. Throw them out. That's what you do. You throw them out. So Chris Canto scores a hat trick. Unbelievably, people start throwing their hats on the ice. They're throwing people out of the ring for throwing hats on the ice. That's a true story, and I lived it. So my point is, it's not unlike the NHL to have these kind of not the greatest venues in the world as stopgap measures. No, yeah, and you look at you look at what San Jose did at the Cow Palace, yep. and you look at what some of the other um, some of the other buildings that that there has been moments where the teams has played in, um, and you, you you understand that this isn't as abnormal. This is definitely the smallest, and uh, and but it, it's new, and hopefully uh, the experience will continue to be good. I think part of it going into donor was you know the the reaction from the visiting teams, the visiting players, and I saw Blake Wheeler's comments after the Friday game. Uh, and Blake Wheeler had a little bit of history with the Coyotes organization after they drafted <laughs> him, uh, but he said, you know what, it's not that bad as long as you have a place to get dressed and, and the ice is good. It's not that bad. We're were you able to garner or gather any other um, reaction from players that, that played in Mullet Arena these first two games? Yeah, that was that's kind of the same. It's the old Hoosiers mentality where it's all the same, really, as a yeah. player. Uh, you don't really notice, as much as you as a player, you, you play in an environment and every single athlete has egos and they want to play in front of more people. That's, there's no way around that. But... At the same time, once a game starts, you don't. It, it, other than very few moments throughout a game, do you really notice what's going on in the game, in the during the game and in the crowd? You know, I guess 
If you're standing on the blue line for the national anthem in Chicago, that you notice. Um, yeah. There's a few times yeah. when the home team will really get rolling. You'll notice if uh, there's a bad call on the ice, you'll notice what's going on in the crowd. But for the most part, inside the glass, you don't really notice. And if there's good ice and there's a place that you can get change is clean and uh, and it's, it's not too hot, then uh, you're going to be happy. Uh, think about the arena you played in one season in Winnipeg when you were a rookie donor. Yeah, Think yeah. of that awful mural of the queen they had hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> this is not unusual for the NHL. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't awful. See, we're part of the Commonwealth. Come on, Vic. that is true. Yeah, Canada she's Canadian again. That is true. All right, let me rephrase so, that then, donor. Um, it, it, here's that beautiful mural of the Queen. Here's breathtaking. And I'm not sure anybody ever even knows where that mural is these days. It's in a warehouse somewhere. I read. Um, yes, it is. That's yeah. that's that's fabulous. Okay, so the fact that that there are actually a student section for an NHL game. People are going to make fun of that in other cities, but it, when you're allowing ASU students to buy tickets for 25 bucks a piece when there's not another seat in that arena that's less than 100 bucks, you might draw and grow young fans, I guess conceivably. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm assu- that's the kind of the game plan. That's kind of what their thoughts are on it and what they're trying to do. Um, and uh, I agree. Like that's that's not that's not something that's normal for an NHL team. And uh, the Rangers games, I don't know if those were all students. So, <laughs> but at the right. same time, it was uh, it was it is that opportunity to try to give people a chance to experience an NHL game right in their backyard, and for those students to be part of a, a professional organization and to see what it's you know professional hockey at that level is. I love university hockey and I think it's incredible and it's so fun to to see their opener and to see the NHL in that same building is pretty unique. We're talking with uh, Shane Doan as we do every Tuesday here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Last week it came out and Craig Morgan was among those that put it out there that the Tempe City Council was expected to vote uh, November 29th, maybe sooner on the future of the arena and entertainment district in Tempe as a permanent home for the Coyotes. Then the news came out from Craig that uh, the Tempe City Council likely to refer that to a referendum, meaning the people get to vote. What uh, The organizational reaction to that news and, and where it stands right now, if you could fill us in on that, Shane. Yeah, well, I think that there's an element that we're going to have to wait and see. If it does go to a referendum, there's, there's some positives about that and the fact that it, it eliminates a lot of the legal battles that might come from that. And so you could see why the city of Tempe might be looking to do something along those lines. And yet at the same time, uh, if they choose not to, there's there's another path that, that you can go down that is just as maybe quicker. But um, you understand that there. Uh, awareness of making sure that the, I mean, that's the way that the city works. You've got to have to let the people kind of say what they want. And uh, I remember we had a couple referendums in Scottsdale back at Los Arcos, oh, yeah. yes. which we won, which we won both handily, but that didn't end up happen. So we got to make sure that. Uh, we yeah. just kind of take care of cross all the I, uh, cross all the T's and dot all the I's. All right, so uh, I guess we're what now nine games into the season. Uh, what tell us your uh, your overview of how the hockey team is going? Um, there's moments where we look really good, and then uh, it's it's hard as a as a team. Is I think that's been on the road and the and just the 
the way the schedule is and how disjointed it's kind of been, um, there's been moments where we've been good. Um, you look at the game against Winnipeg, who's got a pretty good team. Felt like we controlled that game. Um, the game in Toronto, we had some success. We would in Montreal, but against the the Jets and against the Toronto and this last this last game, the game we were we were okay against the Rangers. We just we weren't quite as sharp as we wanted to be. Um, our power play and our young guys have looked good, and uh, and that, that's exciting. You look at some of you look at Dylan Gunther, and you look at Michelli, and you look at some of those guys that are coming along. Uh, Val Mackey, I think that was a great pickup to get him off waivers. He's a guy that I know that Brad Tree Living loved him, so to add him to our group was big. So we're starting to get some building blocks here that are going to to be around for a long time. All right, uh, do you do you want to call plays for the Cardinals, Donor? Do you have any, <laughs> do you have any interest? And get him in in time. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be an improvement. That, how about I feel for those guys? I couldn't imagine all of the pressure that comes in with bringing in new guys into the huddle and doing adding things and wanting to change things and having big personalities. It would be it would be fascinating to to be inside one of their huddles for like just ten seconds to hear what. Well, and you think about not yeah. more than ten seconds because that's too long. But uh, ten seconds—that's <laughs> the problem. Yeah, that's the issue. <laughs> but it's it's so unique unique because football is a game of stops and starts. I mean, like the sport you played hockey, there's it's a flow. So it's, decisions are being made, but it's everything's all happening around. You don't stop and start every time, you know? It's different. Yeah. And I, that's probably my favorite part about our sport is the read and react part of our game. It's more remember Troy Polamalu, the way that he would kind of go off script and yes. there, everyone would rave about how you know, he's just such a great football player and he could read and react. And, and it's funny because as a hockey player, you, you, you're never on script. There's never a script for you to follow. And, uh, and and yet that's what made him so unique and so special. And I think that it's football's fascinating because your coaches become so important because it's more of a chess match than really anything, any of the other sports. And um, having the pieces in the right place and doing what they're supposed to do is, is so vital. Yeah. And when it works, it looks easy and simple. And when it does and it looks like no one knows what they're doing, and that's hard. Yeah, ain't that the truth? <laughs> ain't that the truth? <laughs> Donor, always a pleasure. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks. you, Shane Don, Arizona Coyotes Chief Hockey Development Officer. He joins us every Tuesday here on Arizona Sports. Uh, coming up next, Suns continue their homestand. Can they build on the Western Conference's best record against Minnesota tonight? Some Suns talk straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Tuesday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings. We're coming to you live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Jared Carlin, Sarah Gazelle, the whole crew here until 10 o'clock. And then we hand things off to Wolf and Luke. Tonight, I wasn't joking with Donor. Three games at Mullet Arena, all on Suns home, home game nights. Not that I'm complaining. Yeah. I got a pretty good seat for the Suns yeah. games. But uh, uh-huh. Suns are home tonight. They continue that six-game homestand against the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'll just say it. Big picture through six games. Uh, for a number of reasons, Beck, I did not expect the Suns to be 5-1. and one. Neither did I. No, I I thought, and I told you what I thought. I thought I thought that game against the Mavericks was going to be a struggle. It was going to be a and it either was. way. I thought Portland was going to be a win, and I thought the next two games were going to be losses. And that and was I, uh, the Clippers yeah. and the Warriors. And I was bracing that for them to be like poundings. 
it and so I'm 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 very happy and and it's and it's not just that they're winning games it's just it's it's like I said earlier Steve Kerr head coach of the Golden State Warriors uh, came out and said that team looks really buttoned up right now and that means they're very well coached it means they're very focused and it means they, they've got a togetherness that's that's very natural to them mm-hmm. which is interesting given the fact that they're assimilating a couple of new pieces although if you look at the early season standings the top four in the West I know other than the, the Portland Trailblazers yeah. the Utah Jazz the San Antonio Spurs and, which nobody expected that and, right no. and again it's it's this is this is going to be with us all year long we're going to be talking about this ad nauseum and that is how much should we really be celebrating these regular season victories when the playoffs are just an inc- a, a completely different game mm-hmm. um, one of the big I guess encouraging factors to the early season play by the Suns has been the play of that bench. Uh, didn't expect much. There's some new players, Jock Landale, Damian Lee, Torrey Craig coming off a year where he was not necessarily that effective coming off the bench. Same can be said for, for Cameron Payne. They have been a bright spot so far. Here was Chris Paul on Sunday night after the win over the Rockets talking with Al McCoy and Tim Kempton about the play from the second unit. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, my third year here, I think everything for us each year has been a growing process. You know, and seeing how much we need each other uh, throughout the regular season. And obviously last year winning 60 games, we realized that means absolutely nothing. So all season long, game by game, we're just trying to build and make sure that we got a, a tight unit uh, going into the playoffs. We talked also, Bick, about you know how this offense was going to look, um, how it was going to produce, with Devin Booker being the guy to lean on. He's been phenomenal so far. Yes, he has. Uh, with the changing roles and less on Chris Paul in terms of bringing the ball up and initiating offense, Hasn't really helped or hurt his assist totals. He had 15 assists against the Rockets. He's averaging over uh, 10 assists a game, almost 11 assists per game. But who would pick up the slack scoring if Chris Paul was scoring less? Yeah. Chris Paul is definitely scoring less. He is the sixth leading scorer on the Suns right now. <laughs> uh, DeAndre Ayton had his per-game average messed up by playing only seven minutes in that New Orleans game before he left. Okay, um, So that'll screw up your averages, especially early in the season. Mikel Bridges is at 15 points. Cam Johnson, who hasn't really got going yet, he's at twelve and a half. Jock Landale has outscored Chris it. Paul so far. He's been he's been the real surprise of the season, mm-hmm. and because he's just been a really really good fit. Now, it, can it last? This is a young player who's got some um, experience on a national team and a national program, which means he's received a lot of high level coaching. He had a year with. San Antonio he played a lot of college basketball too of- for a good program at St. Mary's. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so I think that when you look at him, there's a there's a chance they might have found a really perfect fit, and and if that's the case, good on them because I think I remember laughing at you early in the season when you said this guy's going to be uh, better than JaVale McGee was for the team, or or he's going to make the Suns not miss JaVale McGee. First you laughed at the Seahawks for keeping Pat, Pete Carroll, then you laughed at me. I did. <laughs> I did, it, and, but, but again, it, it's, but I'm not, I'm not stupid enough to say when, I, when I'm an idiot. I don't. And, no, I'm, it, it, I'm it's, just busting you. Well, yeah, but it, it's sometimes players are, uh, like that are really good, you know, have chameleon tendencies where they can come into a situation and go, okay, that's where I can fit in. And right? After all, I did pick A.J. Green to have a breakout season. So. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm not that. batting a thousand. Yeah, two for three. But here's, <laughs> but here's the other thing, though, that you have to be a little cautious of. Do you remember that stretch with Aaron Baines? Yeah. Was it two years ago now? It was... Th- 
that was the uh, the bubble year. So yeah. that was three seasons. Three ago. seasons ago, and he had that unbelievable stretch where people were saying he should start instead of DeAndre Ayton, if yeah. you remember. Oh, man. How about then, that? as the season wore on and he got sort of more playing time, he came back down to earth a lot. And so it'd be happen. interesting to yeah. see what happens with Jock Landell. Well, it, it is. Yeah, I, I would say I would. I, uh, everything about this basketball team is gonna is gonna revolve around how do they look in January. When trading season uh-huh. gets here, that's really, really what it's going to be about. But I think, you know, it, it's they've they've been really good at finding fit guys, and and it's they're keeping their culture intact, which is very very important. Yes, it it's 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 such a sign of a good strong culture when players come in and adapt to the culture rather than you having to change it to suit them. Big it, difference. It, the, the what to Jared's point on Jock Landale, it, it's it's a good point. Monty Williams actually talked about this yesterday that he's been so good so early that now you're going to start to see teams kind of scheme against Landale? It's a tough one um, just because you put, your mindset for a guy like Jock is like how do I get in the rotation and then <laughs> once you get in it it's like how do I stay in the rotation I'm not quite sure they even think about the other side of it that they're a part of the scouting report and to be honest with you I wouldn't want to crowd their mind with that for me it's like just keep doing what you're doing um, that's good enough and the really good players especially come off the bench even when teams know what they're doing Sometimes when you just play hard, it overcomes like whatever teams are trying to do. Um, the last thing I want to do is get in his head about, hey, this team's going to take this away, and they're going to look at this, you know, to try to counter your strengths. I just want him to go out there and play with great intensity and force. To me, when he plays like that, he's he's a great asset to our team. Something interesting to watch too: the, the bench could look a little bit different. Tory Craig, who's been really good um, so far this season, especially the last couple games. It's questionable with a heel injury. I'm wondering if that necessitates Dario Saric getting the sweats off, which uh. he hasn't done since opening night for two minutes. And there was a very brief, I think it was Friday night against New Orleans, there was a very brief uh, but definitely audible Dario chant coming from <laughs> the north side of the lower bowl. So th- there's some Suns fans that want to see what Dario's got to offer. I don't know if he's physically ready, um, but th- they might have to press him into duty if Tory Craig yeah, can't go. Yeah, that's something to look for. Yeah, yeah because yeah. he's been the backup for. That's going to be interesting because, uh, as you pointed out, the Timberwolves uh, are they're they've got they're a good team, but they're also kind of a goofy team, and and I'll be curious to see what kind of growth is in that team. But they're also a very big team, too, well, which also that, might necessitate yeah. Dario Scharz yeah, getting true. some time tonight. True. So we shall see. Suns and Timberwolves tonight at 7. You can uh, listen on the Arizona Sports app and on 98.7. Uh, have you subscribed to the Bickley and Murata podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. Never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast. It's brought to you by Carol Royce Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Show of hands real quick among the show. Who's ready for some social studies? Come Jared, on, Jared. Jared, you're not ready? All right. <laughs> I needed my hand All right, to, since uh, it's unanimous. Play the, uh, commercial. We'll do, we it. do it. We'll do it. Hey, no, no. You put down your hand fruit there, Jared. <laughs> Stop <laughs> rubbing your eyes, Jared. Stop rubbing your hand fruit. <laughs> oh. Oh. That's illegal. Yeah, that's illegal. <laughs> social studies is next. <laughs> it's Bickley and Murata mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.